0: Good morning. It is that season, in case you were not aware, it is ant season. (laughs) I woke up this morning and I went out to the kitchen and I was making coffee and I looked to my left and there is a big giant ant crawling up the wall. And where there's one ant, there's more ants and we discovered a whole trail of them this morning coming into our house from various locations around the outside and that is not okay. (laughs) <laughs> we needed to take care of that, and so this morning it was a, uh, an eradication mission, trying to figure out how to keep these ants out of the house. So we strategically placed cotton balls with peppermint oil in various locations throughout our house, which if you didn't know, is a great way of making sure ants don't come into your house. If you ever come over to our house and you smell peppermint oil, just be aware, we probably have had ants recently. So. <laughs> For us though, eradicating these ants is a big deal and we're gonna go home today, we're gonna make sure we did the job and are they gone or are they still there? Do we still need to do some more work? Spiritually speaking though, the eradication of sin is a big, big deal, even bigger obviously than a few little bugs in your house. Getting sin out of our lives, eradicating the problem of sin is something that we should be thinking about a lot. It's not just a, oh, well, I thought about that once. I dealt with that one time. No, because sin, like ants, can be seasonal. Sin, like these kinds of things in our lives that we have to just maintain and address on a periodic, regular basis, is something that is not just a one-time fix, it's something that's an ongoing pursuit that we should all be focused on. So this morning, I want to look at an example of someone who did some eradication of his own, really. And that is a man named Jehu, and if you will please grab a Bible, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 9. We're to spend the majority of our time here in 2 Kings chapter 9. And this is kind of a long long story, really. Two chapters about this king in Israel who I, I think did a really great job, who really did, more than anyone else, at eradicating sin, eradicating idolatry out of the hearts of the children of Israel during his time. Jehu was a man that I'd like to study for a little bit this morning. Maybe learn some lessons for us about how God can use us in taking care of the problem of sin. And so let's just set the stage here really quickly. Jeroboam was the one who divided or split the kingdom from Judah. He went off on his own, went rogue with the northern tribes of Israel. Jeroboam, then after him, was Nadab. After him was Baasha. After him was Elah, after him was Elon, and we see Omri and Zimri, the kings there after after them. We see these guys who were the kings, the first six kings. And they, they really didn't focus too much on the Lord. They had set up some altars, they had fractured really the service of God into their own purposes, and they were pagans, they were idolaters replacing what God wanted them to do with their own source of idolatry. And then, then comes Ahab, the seventh king of the northern tribes of Israel. Ahab was terrible, as if it were a light thing to dabble in this idolatry. He just cranked it to 11 and replaced all of these idols that they were replacing with God's service, replaced them with Baal worship. He enacted through his horrible wife Jezebel, the worship of Baal in the nation of Israel. It was terrible. It was terrible what Ahab did to the people. And Ahab really started the the nation of Israel down this terrible route of serving Baal, and it was not a good situation. And so what we find out from all these things is that there needs to be There needs to be an eradication of Baal worship out of the children of Israel. Baal worship has to go. And so, a very familiar story I think a lot of us know back from 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah goes and stands before the prophets of Baal there at Mount Carmel and just whoops them. (laughs) Literally, at the end of that, he has these prophets of Baal slaughtered, after God demonstrates his power over the prophet of Baal. Elijah, in this great victory that he has there in 1 Kings chapter 18, basically at the end of it all, in 1 Kings chapter 19, Jezebel turns her attention to Elijah and says, you're a dead man, I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna kill you by tomorrow. Well, we know that didn't happen. But Jezebel hates Elijah and wants him dead, and Elijah goes off and finds himself in a cave. He goes off, and in 1 Kings chapter 19, he is mourning. He wishes he was dead. This wonderful victory that he has over Baal and the worship of Baal is basically just flipped on its head, and now he is incredibly sorrowful, incredibly depressed about his situation, and he wants to just die. And God, with a lot of other words, has to tell him, basically, you're not the only one serving me. There's still more people who haven't bowed their knees to Baal. You're not the only one. Get back to work. Go find a man named Elisha, another prophet who's going to come after you. And then he gives Elijah his plan for revenge. God details to Elijah exactly what is going to happen in the future with respect to Baal and Baal worship, and God is not taking this lying down, so to speak. God is going to take care of business because he says, And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphet, Abel, and Meloah, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. So God's plan for taking care of Baal worship is that Jehu is going to be anointed king and Jehu is going to take care of business. Jehu is going to to kill all of those who need to be killed to eradicate Baal worship out of Israel. God has a plan. And Elijah knows about the plan. Elijah is supposed to go and anoint Jehu as king. And so we see a little bit later on in 2 Kings now, chapter 9, our reading, 2 Kings chapter 9, in the beginning of this section, This is, uh, Ahab has died, we're now fast-forwarding quite a bit of of time into the future, Ahab has died, and his son Joram is now the king, the eighth king in Israel, after Ahab, Joram now is king, and Elisha, the the sort of predecessor, I suppose, or the the one who succeeded Elijah in his work, Elisha comes and sends a, a servant to go and anoint the head of Jehu as king. Now, I know this is lost on a lot of us as like a, an important thing. Not one single king in Israel, in the northern tribes of Israel, was ever anointed as king except for Jehu. Jehu was the only one in the tradition of Saul, in the tradition of David before him. He was the only one out of all of the kings of Israel who was ever anointed. And God was the one who called him to be anointed, which tells me that God is on Jehu's side. Jehu is supposed to be someone who is following the Lord, and so Jehu is going to be a shining example of someone who is is following after God. He's going to do some amazing things at God's request. And so he becomes the king. He's anointed by Elisha's servant and his friend's learn about this, and they bow to him, and they accept his anointing, and then Jehu gets to work. Jehu here, well, he drives fiercely. It, it says that as the, the watchers on the wall at Jezreel, they look out and they see him coming, they have to send messengers to him, and they say, hey, is, is everything okay? And every messenger who goes out there basically refuses to turn around and come home. They stay with, with Jehu. And they look and they see this man in this chariot driving and they say, he's driving so fiercely. This must be Jehu. If you're an angry driver, if you're, like a, if you're a driver who's like really aggressive, well, you ain't got nothing on Jehu. <laughs> Jehu was a man who was known for his driving. And they see him coming. He comes to the city and he assassinates King Joram with a bow. He pulls it back at full strength Lays it right in between his arms, into his heart, kills King Joram right there. And by the way, King Ahaziah was there too. Ahaziah was the king over Judah, the southern tribe. And Ahaziah was there, and so as if it was just, you know, par for the course, well, Ahaziah is going to die as well. Actually, this wasn't overstepping his bounds because Jehu was called to kill all of Ahab's family. And you know who Ahaziah was? Ahab's grandson. So it was right that Ahaziah die as well in the eyes of God and according to God's instructions. So Joram dies, Ahaziah dies, and by the way, there's a little point here that I want to highlight in this section. In verse 14, actually in verse 25 of 2 Kings chapter 9, where we see that Jehu says to Bidkar, his aide after Joram dies, after Joram's been killed. He tells his aid, take him up and throw him on the plot of ground belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. For remember when you and I rode side by side behind Ahab, his father, how the Lord made this pronouncement against him. As surely as I saw yesterday, the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons declares the Lord, I will repay you on this plot of ground, now therefore take him up and throw him on the plot of ground in accordance with the word of the Lord." Now you'll remember what happened, Ahab and Jezebel, they really wanted this land that Naboth had, so they killed Naboth to take the land. And at that time, God declared against Ahab, I'm going to put you on this land, you're going to die here. And then a funny thing happens because Ahab decides that he's going to repent, which is super weird. Ahab actually repents and changes. And so God says, I'm not actually going to do this to you. I'm going to do this to your sons. So here's the thing. Jehu remembers what God had said. And as Jehu is trying to figure out what to do with King Joram's body, he says, you remember how God told us that they were going to die and be put right there in Naboth's vineyard? Do that. Do that. And so here's what I see about Jehu. He is the kind of guy who says, thy will be done. He is the kind of guy who is listening to God. He is an instrument for God. And as God has said, I'm going to do something, he is is the one who's going to make that happen. Jehu is the kind of guy, the kind of king now, who is listening to God, finally, for the first time in Israel, for the first time, somebody is listening to God and actually cares what he has to say, who's in position of authority. It's amazing. So we see how Jehu does this. He throws Joram's body into Naboth's vineyard, fulfilling the word of the Lord. He's doing all of these things, and then the story just gets better. <laughs> so we're going to move through this really quickly, but in 2 Kings chapter 9, at the very end, we see how he goes to the walls and sees Queen Jezebel there at the wall and wants Jezebel dead. Obviously, God wants Jezebel dead. And so he calls out to those who were there, to those who were there with Jezebel, and basically tells them, hey, is anyone with me? A couple of of eunuchs come out, and they look over, probably Jezebel's aides. And he tells them, hey, throw her over the wall. So they throw her down, and she dies, and the dogs eat her, and all they can find are the palms of her hands and her feet, thus to fulfill the word of the Lord that basically said the dogs are going to eat you. And that's actually what happens there. And so he executes Jezebel in this humiliating fashion. And then we move on. And I'm sorry, this little PG-13 in this graphic. But if you read this section, it is bloody. Whoo, boy, it's bloody. There are like 70 people's heads, sons of Ahab, whose heads are cut off, brought to Jezreel, put in two piles around the outside of the, of the city. And everybody who walks in has to look at a bunch of severed heads on the ground. Whoa. Jehu wasn't the kind of guy who just went halfway. <laughs> I mean, he went all the way, right? He, just, he took it to the nth degree. He was going to do what God wanted him to do, and he was going to take care of business. And that is what he did. He hunted down all of, of Ahab's sons, friends, prophets, all of the people who, who were connected to Ahab in some way. He hunts them down and he kills him. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. He's doing what God wanted him to do. Oh, and then if the story couldn't get any better, he goes and he says, you know, I would really like to serve Baal. Ahab, Ahab served Baal a little bit, but you know what, guys? I want to serve Baal a lot. So can you bring all the prophets and the worshipers and everybody out so I can talk to them? And everyone was like, oh, Jehu wants to serve Baal. And they all go run out there. And they're like, oh, Jehu. And then he just slaughters them all. He destroys the statue of Baal. And then, I I cannot even make this stuff up. Then he decides to turn the house of Baal, in verse 27 of 2 Kings chapter 10, into a latrine. He literally turns the house of Baal into a public toilet. Like, how humiliating can you get? And Jehu just takes it all the way to 11, maybe even 12. He cranks it all the way up and just utterly wipes out Baal worship from the land. And that is actually what we read in in verse 28 of 2 Kings chapter 10. Thus, Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. The 10-year-old boy in me right now is like, yes! (laughs) I mean, is it that way for you? Like reading this story and seeing how bad the children of Israel had gotten, how bad the nation of Israel, the northern tribes had gotten, the fact that now you finally see after Ahab did what he did, after Elijah had to deal with what he had to deal with, after Elisha picked up the mantle from him and took took that on, how Jezebel died, how all of Ahab's kids died, and everyone else surrounded him, and finally Baal is gone. Wow. That's eradication. That's extermination. And that needed to happen. And God is using Jehu to make all of that happen. And I want to look at a few lessons from this amazing king in the northern tribes of Israel. I want to look at a few lessons about... That must be the wrong slide, right? Because the the, the title of this lesson is Thy Will Be Done. Jehu is the kind of guy who did the will of the Lord. Jehu was the kind of guy who listened to God. He was careful. He was thorough. He was methodical. He was zealous. There's not a but in here. Oh, no, there's a big butt. There is a big, big but in the next verse. And I want to read that because it, it, it is almost shocking. And that's what's so sad about this story is how amazing Jehu was as a king in eradicating idolatry and sin, but, in 2 Kings 10, verse 29, but Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is, the golden calves that were in Bethel and in Dan. Just let that sink in for a little bit. I mean, seriously, how, how disappointing is this? If this verse were not here, Jehu would be the lone conquering king, faithful to the Lord. If this verse were not here, we would be shouting Jehu's praises as the one king who finally did the right thing. But, and this is where this story really hits home for me, Jehu is the kind of guy who did so much good and followed God so accurately and zealously. But, so I think we have to change as we think about this idol worship, I think we have to change our thought process about Jehu. Because yes, Jehu got rid of idolatry of Baal worship, but he did not address the idolatry that had existed in the land from the beginning. He saw the sparkly new sin, and he forgot to look at the old sin that had been lying there for the longest time. And this is something we need to address. So unfortunately, we're going to have to change the title of this lesson. Because Jehu is not... The man who said, thy will be done. Jehu is the man who said, my will be done. Jehu was doing things that he wanted to do. Jehu was following God as long as it was something he agreed with, as long as it was something that he would take advantage from. Jehu was not the kind of guy who was following God sincerely. That is what is so scary to me about Jehu. Am I Jehu? Are you Jehu? Am I the kind of person who's going to spend my life living so closely and so zealously for God that at the end of it all, there's a big butt there that I have to address or things that I have not addressed in my own life? Maybe for you too. The big idea from this lesson is that getting rid of sin Getting rid of sin from our lives can only be effective if we go all the way. It does not do us any good to get rid of 99% of the sin from our life and not address the 1% still there. Here's the thing, this morning when we put our cotton balls down with our peppermint oil and tried to keep all the bugs out, Sherilyn asked me a really obvious question. Well, what happens to the ants that are already in the house? That's a great question. I don't know. They're already here. You know, we're just really keeping the ones out that are already outside, but the ones inside we have now trapped here. And that is the problem that we all need to think about from our own lives. Are we harboring sin? Are we forgetting about sin? Is there something in our lives that we're overlooking while we're so focused on dealing with the big sin? The big, obvious sin right in front of our eyes. Here's here's Jehu's problems, a few problems that I see in Jehu, and maybe you'd agree with this, there's probably more. But I think Jehu obeyed the commands that didn't require him to change or sacrifice. Jehu was the kind of guy who, like the rich man in Matthew chapter 19, verse 22, after he says, Oh, I've done all these things, I've given tithes, I do all these things, and he says, You know what? Sell all your stuff, give your proceeds to the poor. He was a faithful man who held up all of his accomplishments in Matthew 19. But when Jesus told him to do the hard thing that involved sacrifice, he went away sorrowful. Jehu was totally willing to do all of the things that involved everyone else, but as soon as it came to him having to put his money where his mouth was, as soon as it came to Jehu actually having to change what he was doing, a little too much. And for us, I think we can run into this too. It's easy to change and do what God wants us to do when, when the change is something that makes sense to us, when the change is something that, that feels good or honestly we can see the value in, but is, is it, are we willing to do the thing that we don't understand? Are we willing to do the thing that actually doesn't make sense? And this is why I think God puts in our face so many commands that don't make a whole lot of sense to us. We spend a lot of time talking about why people don't get into the waters of baptism. Well, maybe it's because they just don't see how functionally that actually does anything. Because so if you really think about it, let's get honest about it, those waters, they're not magical. Gary? Are they, you're the one who <laughs> you take care of the waters, right? These are not magical waters. You don't put like special dust in there, and well, no. None of us can look at, at what God has called us to do and say, "Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense," all the time, because a lot of what God calls us to do just doesn't make sense. Are we going to do it anyway? Are we going to do it anyway? Even those things that require us to change or sacrifice. Another thing that Jay, who had that I think we should all learn from, is that he hated one sin while loving another. And and look, at least he hated one of the sins, right? At least he was out there hating the Baal worship. Oh, he hated it more than anybody. He hated it to the point where he was literally just slaughtering people for, for worshiping Baal. He hated that sin so much, but there was this other sin over here, There was this other idolatrous practice over here that he was just okay with. That he hadn't even really addressed. He hadn't even really thought about it. In fact, he was just adopting it and still tolerating it. And I worry about that for me. I don't know if you ever worry about that for you. But I know it's so easy for us to talk about sort of the big heavy hitters, right? Oh, we don't do this. We don't do that. We don't participate in these things. Oh, we we don't have instruments. We don't have... You know, homosexual marriage in the church, we don't have all these things. We, have, we list all the big, heavy hitters, right? And good, we need to take a, a strong stand against those sins. But are we secretly loving other sins that we shouldn't be either? Remember, as Jesus would rebuke the Pharisees, how he would say, you know, you, you do all of these things, you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin. Oh, you should continue to do those things but you're neglecting the things that that are even more important, the weightier matters. Actually, it's the same thing that, that Paul deals with in Romans chapter 2, with the Pharisees. Paul has to get after the Jewish people, Jewish Christians who are so righteous, they're so self-righteous, and, and, and they, they they talk a good game, they tell people to stop sinning, but they themselves can't stop sinning. They themselves can't actually follow through and do the things that they're that they're preaching. Romans 2 is is exactly what we're talking about here. With the life of Jehu, and in our lives. Sometimes maybe we need to, to open our eyes to the things that we're missing. Jehu's zeal, which by the way, Jonadab, we meet in this lesson in chapter 10. You remember, uh, you remember how uh, Sean gave a lesson about good fathers. Jonadab was one of those, the Rechabite. Jonadab is the, that's where we actually see him in in the Bible. We see him here in 2 Kings chapter 10. And Jehu meets Jonadab. He says, Are you true? And yeah, yeah, I am. He says, Okay, come and watch how zealous I am for God. And then he goes in and wipes out Baal worship. Basically, he says, Check this out. I'm going to show you how zealous I am for the Lord. Now, Jehu's zeal impacted every single person around him except for himself. And that is scary. That's actually exactly what Paul was on, on guard for in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 when he's talking about buffeting in his own body, when he's talking about making sure that he is not disqualified after teaching to so many people and, and converting so many people, doing so much good in the lives of other people around him. That He wants to make sure that he's not going to miss out because he hasn't addressed himself. And we all, every single one of us, need to make sure that this this is not us. That we don't spend so much time changing other people around us that we miss the change we need to make in ourselves. If, If Jehu had only been as zealous for for God's true worship as he was for the false worship of Baal. Can you imagine how faithful Israel would have been? But he didn't go far enough. He didn't go far enough. He didn't change himself. And then finally, something I learned about Jehu is that, and this is something that just really plagues us all, his incredible success masked his incredible failure. That is one of the hard things. To come to grips with when things are successful when you're doing well when there's a lot of of positive things that you can point to well well look at this look at that look at these other things that are going on which by the way is exactly what in the sermon on the mount jesus was talking about in the judgment scene in matthew chapter 7 but all these people who says oh we've cast out demons in your name and we've performed many mighty works in your name what is jesus going to say to them depart from me i never knew you <laughs> Oh, you point to all your success. You've done so many amazing things. It is like Mitch's lesson about Ephesus. I'm sure the Ephesian church, at the time when Jesus wrote to them in Revelation, I am sure they were probably pointing backward to all their incredible success. Oh, we hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. We've been, we've been called loving, and, and we've been doing all the right things. And all that success hides our eyes from the failures that are sitting right there. We focus so much on the new sparkly sin that we're trying to deal with that we forget about the old one that's been sitting there the whole time. And that is something all of us need to just wake up to. Jehu needed to wake up to that. I need to wake up to that. You need to wake up to that. Because no matter how successful you've been for the Lord, no matter how much you've been an instrument for God, if you don't go all the way, if I don't go all the way, then we're lost. Because what what do we learn here? What is Jehu's problem? 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 31, details really the, the, the issues that was going on. But... Jehu was not careful. He did not follow the instruction of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins that Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit. That is the problem. That is what what Jehu dealt with. But Jehu's problem can be our solution. So I want to close this lesson just really quickly looking at a few of these key words here in this verse. And hopefully these things will, will... and maybe questions that are spurred on from these things will be helpful for you. First, we see that we need to be careful. Jehu was not careful. Now, you might argue with that because given all of the things that we've been talking about, don't you think he was pretty careful? Where do we put uh, Joram's body? Joram's body. Oh, we better be careful to listen to the the word of the Lord. We better be careful to do it the way God told us to do. How many people should we kill from Ahab's family? We better be careful to do all of it, to kill all of them and make sure we go all the way. Was, Was Jehu careful? Yes. Was he careful enough? No. And that is the matter of degrees that we all have to deal with. Jehu was not careful, but we need to be careful. Are you on alert? Are you living an intentional life? Are you living a consistent life? Are you careful? Do you actually take care of your actions, your thoughts, and make sure that you are doing the things that God really wants you to be doing? So we learn a lesson about being careful here. It also says that he didn't follow. And that is really the, the whole idea of this lesson. It looked like he was following God, right? It looked like he was listening to God's instructions, but in fact, he was not. He was not following God. He was only following what he wanted to do. He was only following the things that made him comfortable, the things that he agreed with, but he wasn't actually following. And so the question that I ask myself is, is God able to use me for his purposes? Can God actually use me? Am I following him? Am I humble? Am I the kind of person who puts God at the head, Jesus his son at the head, and follows after them more than myself? And is that true for you? So We need to be careful, we need to be humble, and we also need to be in the book. You are never going to know what God wants from you unless you are in the book. Was Jehu in the book, so to speak? Absolutely! He was listening to Elisha the prophet. He was listening to Elisha's servant. He was was listening to the prophecies made long ago when when he was doing the things that God had wanted him to do in executing judgment. He was in the book. He was listening to God, but he wasn't in the book enough. And that's the problem. How does God's instruction change your life? Does it change your life? It should. Is it changing your life in all the ways to become the the, of the stature of the fullness of Christ? Are you putting into practice all of the instruction of the book, which leads into the next part? Being wholehearted. He did not listen to the instruction of the Lord with all of his heart, and that is, I think, what we got from our summer Bible series: is being wholehearted. The book of James is all about being wholehearted, being all in, being committed. Jehu was very committed, but he wasn't committed enough. There was a hard, right thing that Jehu needed to do, and he wasn't willing to do it. So what's the hard, right thing that you need to do? Is there something that you're missing? Is there something that you're overlooking that you should be doing that you're not doing? He didn't turn from his sins. And that's the final thing. He didn't turn now of all the people who who repented to the to the degree that jehu did there was not a king before or after in israel that repented to the level that jehu did jehu repented more than anyone but he did not turn from these specific sins the sins of the golden calf at bethel and dan and so While he wasn't willing to change in those areas, is there something in your life that you are unwilling to change in? Or are you ready to repent? Are you ready to truly change and make sure that every aspect of your life is completely covered by the instruction of the Lord? Unless you go all the way, you might as well not go at all. And that is the lesson I think we learned from Jehu. He was the kind of guy who was doing what he wanted and what he wanted looked very similar to what God wanted, but they were two different things. Because he was only doing what he wanted to do as it was comfortable and convenient for him to do. And my question for you, are you doing the same? You're here. You've got pretty clothes on, most of you. You're, you're thoughtful. You're attentive. I appreciate your attention. You're giving, you're giving thought to the Word of God. And I see for so many of us that we, that we focus on good things, that we're positive people, that we're listening to the word of the Lord, but can we go further? If you've never given your life to the Lord, then you can absolutely go further and you should. If you have given your life to the Lord and there's still something that you need to take a step in, take the step today. Make the correction. Don't be like Jehu. Don't get to the end of your life. And there be a big, shining but there at the end, where God says, but he did not do this, or but she forgot to do that. It's a scary day if that's the case for all of us. But if you need to make the change, please, please, please make that change today. If you need help in baptism, we'd love to get you started on that path. Please come as we stand and sing. Have I don't